One question amongst the celiac and gluten-free community worldwide is how much gluten is going to cause symptoms and damage to us. One study is currently focusing on this question. The Gluten Threshold Study is being conducted at Wesley Medical Research in Brisbane, and I sat down with the program leader to find out more about this groundbreaking research and the potential it has for the future approaches to celiac disease and the gluten-free diet. That's on today's episode of a Gluten-Free Podcast. Hey, welcome to a Gluten-Free Podcast, the show where we'll be exploring all things gluten-free. I'm your host, Ben. Whether you have celiac disease like me, you're gluten-free for other reasons, or you just want to learn more about the gluten-free diet, then this podcast is for you. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to a gluten-free podcast. This is a weekly show where I talk to people about what they're doing in the gluten-free community, and I also share my own story of having celiac disease and being gluten-free. Before we get into the episode today, I would, as always, like to acknowledge the land on which I'm currently recording this episode on right now, and where my family and I have the absolute privilege to live on this beautiful land. This is, was, and always will be Gundangara country, and the Gundangara people are the true custodians of this land. I would like to pay my respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge the stories, traditions, and living cultures of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Also to add, I am not a health professional in any way. I always get asked this, but I'm not an expert in any medical field. So anytime you hear anything on this podcast related to health or diet, please always remember to seek out your own personal medical advice when it comes to doing anything to your health or your diet because what works for me and my guests on this show may not work for you at all. So please always remember to do that. Okay, let's get into the episode today. My guest on today's episode is Associate Professor and Gastroenterologist James Davison. James is program leader for the Gluten Threshold Study being conducted at Wesley Medical Research in Brisbane, Australia. We'll talk about the potential findings of the study, who is eligible to be involved, and plans for future celiac disease research. All right, James, um, thanks so much for joining me here today on the podcast. Yeah, pleasure, Ben. Great to be here. Thanks for doing it. Penny Delsberger, the health advocacy officer at Celiac Australia, was recently chatting with me on the podcast uh, about the gluten threshold study that's being conducted there at at Wesley Medical Research Centre in Brisbane. Can you share a little bit about your role there and and how you got involved with the study? Yes. So I've been involved in clinical studies in celiac disease now for probably 15 years in Queensland. Right. And we've done those at various institutions, um, mainly in southeast Queensland. Uh, And with one of the last ones that I did, trying to marry up my clinical work with a research institute and putting them together um, made a lot more sense for me in terms of time management. And so I came to be involved with Wesley Research Institute, um, which sits at the Wesley Hospital. Um, And over the last five to six years, we've been putting together and trying to develop a research program at Wesley. Um, The microgluten challenge study that we're doing now is something myself and others have been thinking about for quite a long time. Um, 
probably the best part of a decade, actually. But um, over the last two years, we've managed to put that together as a study as well, which we're now doing at Wesley Research Institute. That sounds really interesting. And a decade in the works, that's that's amazing. Um, can you explain a little bit more about the study and, and what it's about? Mm. Um, well, one of the questions we often get in the clinic is how much gluten is dangerous to me. So if I'm on a really strict gluten-free diet, what happens if I ingest gluten or is a little bit okay? Um, and so when we try to answer that question, we have to look at previous studies. And the main study that tried to address safe levels of gluten intake was from Italy, probably 15 to 20 years ago now. Wow. Um, yeah, it surprises most people to think or understand that there isn't quite there isn't a great deal of literature on what are safe levels of gluten intake for people with celiac disease. Um, and then Celiac Australia commissioned a Cochrane review several years ago, which um, suggested we do need more information on what safe levels of gluten intake are for people with celiac disease. The study um, that I'm referring to, um, what it did, it, it had about 30, uh, 39 people with celiac disease. And what they, they did is they said, right, over three months, we're going to give those 39 people different amounts of gluten. So 13 of them got 50 milligrams of gluten a day. 13 of them got 10 milligrams of gluten a day. And the rest got a placebo. So not big numbers. Um, and what they found is that everyone in the 50 milligram group deteriorated. Um, most people in the 10 milligram group seem to be okay, but someone pulled out because they became sick and not everyone's biopsies pre and post the gluten challenge remained normal. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. In that three months, they did a biopsy of the small bowel before they started taking the gluten challenge and a biopsy at the end. But on the basis of that, um, it was, and this is where countries diverge, they said, right, well, 50 milligrams a day seems unsafe, but 10 milligrams a day seems safe for most. Mm. Um, so when we eat gluten, we don't go out and eat 10 milligrams of gluten. We might eat gluten-free foods. So to determine how much gluten is in what you're eating, we have this thing called parts per million. So the US and the United, the United States and Europe on the basis largely of that study said, right, well, we're going to allow 20 parts per million of gluten in our gluten-free foods. Yeah. So if you have a kilogram of gluten-free food in those countries, you're really eating 20 milligrams of gluten, um, which is less than 50, but above 10. If you're in Australia and New Zealand, because those countries said, well, 10 milligrams isn't safe for everyone, so we're going for no detectable gluten. Um, our gluten-free foods have no detectable gluten, which is about two to three parts per million in reality. Was that clear? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think a lot of other countries sort of deem us quite strict in that sense, don't they? So I guess this study would, would kind of confirm or go the other way and not confirm it that we are perhaps being too strict or that we're you know we are being strict for a good reason <laughs> so so we're not making people with celiac disease sick uh, yeah i think one of the other the reason why we're doing this study now is that other study was based on biopsy so biopsy in the small bowel giving people gluten and re-biopsy in the bowel 
And we now know that there is a lot of intra-observer variability in reporting small bowel biopsies. So although we call it the gold standard and it is the gold standard, there can be difficulties in looking at small bowel biopsies. What we've found over the last three to four years is that if someone has celiac disease and they're on a strict gluten-free diet, if we give them a gluten challenge of a one-off dose of gluten, around two to four hours later, they will release an inflammatory marker in their blood. It's called a cytokine, but it goes up. We didn't know about that before. Um, so our theory is that if we give people a one-off gluten challenge, we can measure this inflammatory marker in their blood, but we can actually reduce the dose of gluten to really, really tiny amounts and determine if we're still seeing that inflammatory marker, even at minute levels like 10 milligrams or 5 milligrams or 50 milligrams. Mm. So if we are getting an immune response at 10 milligrams, we know that that body is activating its immune response to gluten. Yeah. So you could argue, well, you know, 10 milligrams certainly causes an immune response in people with celiac disease. So 10 milligrams probably is not safe. So hopefully that will inform um, food safety guidelines around the world. Mm. It, it's, it's a big study to undertake. Um, and it can, for a lot of reasons, it can be difficult to do. And that's probably why it's taken all these years to get to the point that we actually have started to do it. And equally, we didn't have access to this special test to measure immune activation in people with celiac disease up until the last few years, because it just wasn't known. That's really interesting. And that could have some some huge effects. Yeah, as you said, throughout the world, not only here in Australia, and to know what level of gluten is safe for celiacs. So how how are people sort of um, participating in this study? Are you is there like a, a placebo as well that you're giving alongside the uh, that really small amount of gluten in, in the capsules? Yeah, there is. We certainly give a placebo as well because um, we want to confirm that we're not eliciting an immune response um, uh, with the placebo. The study's now been running for the best part of a year. Um, so we have several cohorts of in this study. So the first cohort, we had six people come in and they all got one gram of gluten just as a one-off and we measured their blood after that. Because previously we'd only shown this cytokine had been released with six grams of gluten. So we reduced the dose to a gram and already we're seeing results with that. Um, and that sort of gives us a baseline readout as well, which is really important for the remainder of the study. So each of the next three cohorts consists of 15 people in each group. Um, uh, so that first cohort is now pretty much completed. Um, and we're about to start on the second cohort. Each person that's involved in the study comes in for five visits. So they come in and meet us first and they decide if they want to participate. Then they come in on three further occasions a month apart just for the day. And they'll either get placebo or really small amounts, a one-off dose of gluten. And they'll stay with us for the day just so we can take blood off them at two, four and six hours just to measure this um, inflammatory marker in their blood. Um, but the amounts they're getting now are really quite small. Um, 
as you probably know, celiac disease is really interesting in that people have a wide variation of symptoms coming up to when they're diagnosed. Oh, yeah. And then when they're diagnosed and they go on a strict gluten-free diet, um, most of those symptoms resolve, but the disease can actually change in its clinical manifestations. So after about two years, a certain percentage of people, and I'm sure some of your listeners, if they get exposed to really small amounts of gluten, they will vomit profusely. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, and that vomiting correlates really nicely with the release of this marker in the blood we're seeing. So they can almost time when they're going to vomit. Some people will get exposed to gluten in about an hour and 20 minutes. You can almost set your watch to it. They will start to vomit. Um, so they know they've got to get home from the restaurant or wherever they are. Um, similarly with their, the blood release of this inflammatory marker, it tends to peak at about roughly the same time. So fascinating, really. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, because yeah, I know that there are a lot of different symptoms um, that people present even before diagnosis, but after diagnosis, if they have ingested gluten, the, the symptoms can totally vary. And I guess some people can even be asymptomatic, and that's why it's hard to, <laughs> to diagnose in the first place. But um, well done on those participants too. I, I take my hat off to them to actually be involved with this, uh, with this study. I know that it'll have some really interesting outcomes and learning about what is a safe amount of gluten for us to ingest. Are there any more research studies in planned in celiac disease and the gluten-free diet in the future with Wesley Medical, or are you focusing on this one for now and then and just seeing where it goes? Uh, yeah, we've got quite a few studies in the pipeline. Um, so we're currently um, at least two other, well, three other studies. One's with a novel therapeutic. So there's a lot of people out there developing new therapies for celiac disease, and they will approach us to be involved with that. Um, so we've done that several times already, and there's a lot more of that on the, you know, uh, horizon, um, but even in the short space. So even this year, there'll probably be another couple of studies for that. And um, we're also very interested in case finding people with celiac disease. So as you would know, um, we think about 1.2 to 1.4% of Australians actually have celiac disease, um, but probably less than half of them are diagnosed. Mm. Um, and the average age of diagnosis is 30. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So we feel quite strongly that in a first world country, we should be diagnosing people with a chronic disease much earlier than 30. Absolutely. There is some evidence to suggest that most people with celiac disease will have that while they're, while they're children. You know, so if we can pick these kids up um, early then they'll probably do much better. They'll develop less complications. Their teeth will probably be fine. They'll probably be able to go to school and concentrate and do well at school. Um, so a lot of good reasons to diagnose people early, and we're very interested in that. So one study we've got up running at the moment, um, which is not open for re recruitment to the general population, and you'll understand why, is trying to determine the number of kids who have enamel hypoplasia, so where they don't put enough enamel on their teeth, who actually have celiac disease. Mm. So you can look at it the other way and go, we know enamel hyperplasia exists in children with celiac disease. So what percentage of children presenting with enamel hyperplasia actually have celiac disease? Um, so it's sort of case finding in that in that group of people. So if you're a child and you're seeing your dentist and you're not putting enough enamel on your teeth, you know, I would suggest maybe you should be checking them for celiac disease. 
So we're looking at that in one dental practice at the moment. And if we find a high number of these kids um, with an hypoplasia actually have celiac disease, then maybe that will translate into what should be the norm for Australian kids. That if you see a dentist, you've got enamel hypoplasia, or you should be sent off to get your um, celiac serology done to see if you have celiac disease. So case finding high-risk people. Um, we've done that in first-degree relatives as well. So as you know, if you're a first-degree relative of someone with celiac disease, your risk of getting celiac disease is somewhere between 6 and 10%. Mm. Um, so we've had a first-degree relative clinic where people come in um, and we test them for celiac disease and we're finding very high rates of celiac disease in that population. So it's, it's case finding those people with celiac disease. So there are a couple of other studies. Um, and the other study we're starting to undertake now is looking at the microbiome of people with celiac disease, different parts of their um, disease progression. So diagnosis, post-treatment, during treatment. Um, and we're doing that with um, Severine Navarro, who's a mucosal immunologist at QIMR. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot happening. That's uh, that's really interesting, and I'm so glad that all that research is happening at the moment. And uh, yeah, the gut microbiome is uh, definitely a new field that we're only just sort of just finding out about, I guess. And the gut brain axis, um, and, and especially kids with celiac disease, as you said, if we can catch it early, uh, I know that Celiac Australia's um, Celiac Awareness Week in March is going to be focusing on children with celiac disease. So, uh, yeah, such an important area to 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 study and to, um, yeah, to get help, get more kids diagnosed. So yeah, coming back to this, this current study, uh, the gluten threshold study, you're in the process of, did you say you just have a current cohort of participants at the moment, and then you're looking to recruit some more afterwards? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the next cohort of 15, we've already pre-screened those people. So they're ready to go. Um, but there will be another cohort after that. Um, so the cohort we're about to uh, investigate, they'll take three months to go through. Um, and after that three months, we'll need another cohort of 15. Um, the people we're looking for um, for that is anyone with a biopsy-proven diagnosis of celiac disease, um, aged between 25 and 75, um, who've been on a strict gluten-free diet and for at least 12 months, and haven't knowingly consumed gluten in the last uh, month. Um, so if there's people that we, we'd love, I mean, my experience has been most people that um, volunteer for studies in celiac disease, um, they tend to be people that understand it's a genetic disease. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, uh, they're wonderful. They're coming along to volunteer their time, um, not often not for themselves, but for other people. Maybe yeah. whether with grandkids or whatever. Um, so yeah, we're we're really um, keen to get people involved. Um, uh, if you, I can give you Wesley's email address, if that's helpful, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, just to let listeners know how they can uh, sign up if they're interested in being involved. Yeah, um, that email, that website is wesleyresearch.org.au. So Wesley is in W E S L E Y research.org.au. Um, and you can go on there and see the current CELAC projects that we're doing. Um, and you can register your interest there. That's probably the easiest way. Um, there is a phone number as well, but I think sometimes it's easy just to have a look on the webpage first and check out those details online. Yeah. 
Look, um, yeah, James, I won't keep you too long because I know that you're doing some really important uh, research there. So thanks so much for sharing this information. And I think we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to learning about celiac disease and the gluten-free diet. But um, you and so many around the world are, are trying to find more answers um, about why this disease occurs and, uh, and potential treatments in the future. So I'll let you get back to that work now and uh, good luck with the study. And I'll be keenly watching the results. Yeah, thanks, Ben. And also, congratulations to you for doing this sort of thing. I think it's great. So thanks very much. Uh, Thank you, James. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on a gluten-free podcast. If you're enjoying it and think someone else would too, please share it with them. Also, I'd really appreciate you giving a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. You can find me on Instagram at a.gffamily or send an email to aglutenfreefamily at gmail.com. I'll add all this info in the show notes. Until next time, bye for now.